Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. There once was a preacher who was at a dinner and was asked to get up and give a short 10-minute talk. But of course, there is danger involved in asking any preacher to give a short talk. And after 20 minutes had expired, the preacher was still talking. After 35 minutes, the master of ceremonies gave a little rap on the table with his gavel. The preacher just ignored it and kept right on preaching. After 40 minutes, the master of ceremonies gave a little louder rap with his gavel. Still, the preacher kept right on talking. After one hour, with no end in sight, the master of ceremonies hit his gavel as hard as he could. But still, the preacher went on. Finally, in a fit of rage, the master of ceremonies threw the gavel at the preacher. The gavel sailed over the preacher's head and hit an old man who was sitting at his table fast asleep. The old man woke with a start and shouted, Hit me again! I can still hear him! Paul and we have a message that demands that we preach and proclaim it, and which keeps us preaching until we go home. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 states, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Preaching would be a waste of time and pointless if Christ is not risen. But because Christ lives, preaching is not meaningless. Our faith has meaning, and we have hope, we have a message, and we have good news to make known to all. The old adage for preaching is, preach not because you have to say something, but because you have something to say. And we have something to say because Christ lives. And God, by the working of the Holy Spirit, uses the preaching of His Word to lead sinners to Christ and to establish believers in their faith. 1 Corinthians 1.17 says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. In this verse, the Apostle Paul points out what he was not sent to do and what he was sent to do. Paul was not sent, was not sent to baptize, but he was sent by Christ to preach the gospel. Later in this letter, Paul reiterated his calling as God's apostle to preach the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, he wrote, For necessity is laid upon me, yea, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. To advance the cause of Christ in this world, like Paul, we the church are called to preach the gospel. And preaching the gospel doesn't mean you need to have a pulpit to do it. In the original Greek, the words to preach the gospel just means to bring good news, to announce glad tidings. We preach the gospel in any and every way we evangelize and make Christ and His finished work known to others. Like the Apostle Paul, we are to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And by that, there's a sobering thing we learn there, that it is possible to preach the 
to preach Christ and the gospel in a way that makes it of no effect. A reliance on wisdom of words can cause men to trust in men and to take their eyes off of Christ. But Paul did not want anything to draw attention away from the Savior and from the truth of the gospel. Thus Paul preached the gospel without attempting to impress others by his eloquence. Instead, he simply pointed others to trust Christ and trust Him alone. It's not necessary to have degrees, training, clever tactics, or eloquence to preach the gospel. The power is in the truth of the gospel. And we are called to make that message known faithfully, humbly, and plainly by reliance on the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among, among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In the same vein as 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul stated here that he came to the Corinthians not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Paul did not rely on lofty words of eloquence or human philosophy to convince his hearers. Paul did not come to the Corinthians as an orator. He came as a witness, as he says, declaring unto you the testimony of God. The focal point of that testimony was the person and work of Christ, Jesus Christ, and Him crucified, as he states in verse 2. Like Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Biblical preaching is to be centered on Jesus Christ, on who He is and what He has done. And when we preach the Word, we preach Christ Jesus the Lord because the Holy Spirit has authored a book that is all about Him. Paul came to the Corinthians not teeming with confidence and self-assurance, Instead, as he wrote, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul came to Corinth after being beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, after being run out of Thessalonica and Berea by persecution, and then mocked in Athens. To encourage Paul, upon his arrival in Corinth, the Lord spoke to him in a vision and told him, Be not afraid, but speak. And hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. But despite his weakness in the flesh, Paul in that was most powerful. Because as a result, his preaching wasn't on self-reliance, but it was in the power of the Spirit. G. Campbell Morgan stated, So great was Paul's sense of weakness and fear, and so profound his lack of trust in himself, that he quaked, he trembled. Those are the secrets of strength in all preaching. Paul's weakness, fear, and trembling kept him from relying and placing his confidence in himself, and it allowed God's strength to flow through him. 
Thus, Paul's speech and preaching were in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And the purpose of Paul's preaching was so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All who proclaim the gospel message or teach and proclaim the word of God should make that their constant aim. Paul wanted them to trust in God and in his power and not in the messenger or the wisdom of men. The only secure place for faith to stand is in God's power, not in the wisdom of men. And the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Through his preaching, Paul wanted people's faith to be in God and in the living and powerful Word of God, and not in man, and not in man's wisdom. The contrast of verse 5 between man's wisdom and God's power is between the natural and the supernatural. God's wisdom as revealed in His Word manifests supernatural, spiritual power, and is the only true foundation for our faith to stand and to rest. In these verses, we find that Paul did not emphasize or place confidence in himself or in the method of his preaching, but rather his confidence was in the message of the cross. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. The Judgments to Come is a 22-page booklet based off of Episode 56 of the Transformed by Grace program, written and taught by Pastor Kevin Sadler, President of Berean Bible Society. This booklet is a study of four judgments to come. Judgment Seat of Christ, Judgment of Israel, Judgment of the Nations, and the Great White Throne Judgment. It examines when they take place, to whom they apply, and what the judgments determine. To order your copy, contact Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at BereanBibleSociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The word preaching in this verse is the Greek word logos, which means a word, teaching, or what is declared. The preaching of the cross means all that is involved in the cross, the total collected teaching, its message, and its truth. To the Apostle Paul was committed the preaching of the cross, Because through the revelation of the mystery given to him by the the risen, exalted Lord Jesus Christ, we learn of the full accomplishments and full benefits of the cross. The message of the cross tells us that God the Father hath made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The preaching of the cross teaches us that Christ has done 
everything necessary to save us, that we are saved by faith alone and have the forgiveness of all our sins, and that we are redeemed and have eternal life all as a free gift. However, this message of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. Them that perish are those who are without God or His life. The Word teaches that sin results in death. James 1.15 states, Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Outside of Christ, the unbeliever is dead in trespasses and sins. Thus, when a person is still in their sins, they are perishing, and they will perish. They are heading for perdition, for the second death of eternal judgment in the lake of fire. And them that perish are those for whom God's heart breaks, because He desires for all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Them that perish refers to all who have not believed the gospel of grace and the life-giving message of the cross. But we, the church, who have believed, have this treasure, this message of the gospel that needs to be faithfully preached so that the perishing might be rescued from the wrath to come. In a small church on the East Coast, a pastor delivered a sermon on evangelism. And after the service, a German man who once lived in Nazi Germany told the pastor of this true experience. He said, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to the death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train came past at church. And when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly. And soon we heard them no more. Years have passed, and no one talks about it anymore, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. There are people all around us in a similar situation as those Jews and those train cars. They are perishing, and their destination is even worse. They are on their way to eternal hell. As our hearts rightly break, as we think of those Jews on those train cars, our hearts should break as we think of the unbelieving around us at all times and where they are heading. But let me ask you this. Like this story, 
Do you think the church as a whole is just singing louder, as it were? Trying to drown out that thought. Like our Savior, we must be sensitive to the great need around us at all times and the danger that people are constantly in. We have the one thing that is able to save them from eternal death and suffering in the lake of fire. We have the gospel. We have the message of the cross. And the preaching of the cross, the preaching of the word, needs to be faithfully and urgently proclaimed by the church. Paul points out here that for the many who are perishing and have not believed, the message of the cross is foolishness. The term foolishness in the original Greek is moria, from which we get our word moron. The cross is moronic, absurd, and silly nonsense to those who do not believe. The reason it's foolishness to them is that because they've exalted their own thoughts and their own wisdom above God's revealed wisdom and provision through His Son. The message of the cross is foolishness also because it does not fit with what most think how it ought to be when it comes to determining whether one goes to heaven or not. And mankind doesn't like to think that they are ungodly sinners who need a Savior and that their sins demanded the shed blood and death of God's own Son to pay their penalty. It makes no sense to them that a Savior should suffer and die for them. And the cross allows no place for man's merit or man's attainment, man's wisdom, man's perceived righteousness or man's ego or pride. Thus the cross is chalked up by so many as foolishness. As Paul continued in this verse, he wrote, But unto us, the the but shows a contrast, a division. The message of the cross creates a division within humanity. The entire world can be categorized into one of two groups, them that perish and them which are saved. Are the unsaved and saved, the children of darkness or the children of light? You are either one or the other. There is no halfway. There is no middle ground. The cross divides mankind, the saved from the lost. We find two, two responses to the preaching of the cross in 1 Corinthians 1.18. It's either rejected as foolishness or it is received as the power of God unto salvation. And the message of the cross to us who believe and rejoice in it is far from foolishness. We know that it is profound wisdom, that it is the very power of God. It is about God with power and grace providing salvation from our sins and granting us His life and righteousness the moment that we believe. 1 Corinthians 1, 19-20 reads, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Verse 19 begins with, For it is written. That, is a, that verse is a quote from Isaiah 29, 14. And what was happening back in Isaiah 29 is that King Sennacherib, a mighty king over the nation of Assyria, had decided to attack the land of Judah and besiege the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord told the prophet Isaiah, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work 
among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. The Lord reassured Isaiah and Judah that deliverance was coming, and Sennacherib would fail in conquering Judah and Jerusalem. But the Lord told them that it wouldn't be because of the wise men of Judah or the cunning strategies of the political advisors to the king. They wouldn't escape the hand of the powerful Assyrians by their own wisdom, but rather the Lord said that he would do a marvelous work and deliver them himself to demonstrate the impotence and impermanence of the proud, wise, and prudent men of Judah. In the end, their wisdom would utterly fail. It would perish, be hidden, and forgotten. And so, as Second Kings 19.35 tells us, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. The angel of the Lord, which is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, by by himself smote 185,000 men in the camp of the Assyrians to deliver Judah out of their hands. All the wisdom, knowledge, and acumen of Judah's wise men fell short and were shown to be helpless and weak and could not bring about Judah's deliverance. But by the very power and wisdom of God in the person of His Son, God won the victory for Israel. And likewise, there is no deliverance from the powerful enemy of sin by the wisdom of man. Man's wisdom and understanding is utterly helpless and powerless to save man from this, his greatest need. Instead, God in His wisdom by His power through His Son is how we are delivered from sin and God wins the victory for us. As God told Isaiah of the deliverance He would bring them, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. And today, the marvelous work of God is in the salvation of souls by the message of the cross, by the cross of Christ. By God's power and His wisdom as revealed through the cross and His Son in the preaching of the cross, He destroys the wisdom of the wise and brings to nothing the understanding of the prudent who attempt to solve every problem in this world by their own ingenuity and knowledge rather than turning to God and His wisdom and His power and His Son. And instead, God shows man's wisdom in which He boasts to be what it truly is, weak and frail, and that it will perish and be forgotten, as God has said. See, what God is doing in these verses is He's proclaiming His wisdom as far superior, far superior to man's. And in verse 19, the Apostle Paul quotes from Isaiah 19 to certify that man's wisdom will be destroyed, swept away, brought to nothing, He shows that it's temporary. He shows that it will be forgotten. In contrast, God's wisdom is shown to be permanent. It will never be destroyed. It will never be brought to nothing. 
It is eternal, perfect wisdom. So the point is, which one should we trust? Jeremiah 8-9 reads, The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken low. They have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? When you reject the wisdom of the word of God, you reject true and eternal wisdom. Trusting the fallible, ever-changing opinions of human wisdom, that's what's foolish. When we preach the word, we are proclaiming true wisdom. Wisdom that changes hearts and lives through Jesus Christ. We advance the cause of Christ in this world by being faithful to preach God's wisdom as revealed in His Word. In light of God one day destroying and sweeping away human wisdom, Paul then hurls another defiant challenge. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Did God consult them when He created all things from nothing? Can any wise man in this world teach God anything? Could they ever have devised such a perfect plan of redemption? Can they ever rise to disprove disprove or challenge God's eternal and perfect wisdom? And the answer is emphatically obvious. No. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this world? These questions are in light of God destroying the wisdom of the wise and bringing to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And in light of this taking place, one day these questions mean, where did they go? They were here a second ago, weren't they? What happened to them? They're gone. That verse reemphasizes the impermanent nature of man's wisdom. God's wisdom is revealed through His Word, through His Son, and through the cross. And by these things, God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. 1 Corinthians 1.21 reads, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I absolutely love the second half of 1 Corinthians 1.21, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The foolishness of preaching means the foolishness of the message preached. Paul's not referring to the act of preaching, but the content of preaching, which is the preaching of the cross from verse 18. God is pleased to save anyone who... Anyone who believes through as the world sees it, the foolishness of the message of the cross. God has provided for and accomplished our salvation in a way that no one would have ever expected by his son's death on a cross and his glorious resurrection. Although the cross is contrary to and offends the vanity of human wisdom and conceit, When the simple message of the gospel is preached and the world scoffs and calls it foolishness, God saves those who believe it. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.